The pro-Palestinian police officer gets away with being political. The Conservative Party is found not to be institutionally Islamophobic. And we give you the latest on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Hello everyone, welcome to today's program. This is going to be quite interesting because we're going to talk about our institutions. Are we systemically racist or not? Or do we actually have systemic problems on the other side? We're being woke, being progressive and being biased towards one side of the political spectrum. This police officer, a few days ago, last week, during a pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas and well, anti-Israel march in London, decided to ignore her own rules as a police officer and decided to join the march and supported a lot of the protesters who were there by shouting free Palestine and, you know, Israel should go, all the usual chants that you've been hearing for some time now. Now, what do you think that happened? Usually, if at work you break the guidelines, you have to answer, you might be suspended, you might lose your job. No, not her. The police woman who shouted free Palestine at the protest won't get the sack because her colleagues, other police officers who took the knee during the BLM rallies, or I should say riots, last year, didn't face sanctions. Well done, British society and our establishment for creating a bad precedent and now certain people are going to get away with a lot of things. This is exactly what I said when this thing came out last year. When police officers took the knee in London and in Bristol and other places, a lot of people were upset, saying, why should the police take a political stance and why should they even take the knee? They're supposed to be policing our society. But that was it. That was the extent of the complaints. People were just disappointed at the police. I said, no, there's a bigger problem than you think. This is going to create a bad precedent. And now we are seeing the result. Because of that, Someone, like this policewoman who during the protest decided to just be completely political and biased while wearing her uniform, gets away with whatever she wants now by shouting free, free Palestine and whatever and hugging everyone. And I'm just double checking to see if uh, the hugging was uh, legal in that protest because obviously public hugging is recently uh, been allowed and <laughs> before it was because of lockdown. So maybe she also broke the rules during the actual lockdown. So, uh, but uh, jokes aside, this, uh, this is absolutely nonsensical. The police are now, uh, need to be scrutinized, but who is going to police our police? Are we going to have AC12 and Ted Hastings coming to do this? No, apparently not. That's not how the system works anymore because there, there is a difference between having police, police corruption and an institutional wokeness. That's the problem we're currently facing in this country and in the West, especially in America with, under Joe Biden as president. This is a big, big problem. We have to be worried about this. Now, we are talking about institutional wokeness and institutional problems. Well, there are certain others who've been trying to cause trouble in this country, including Saida Wasi, former chairman of the Conservative Party. For those of you who don't know, Saida Wasi, uh, back in 2008-9, was uh, appointed party chairman by David Cameron. Why? Because Saida Wasi is has a different skin colour and different gender. So, of course, it was beneficial for the progressive Tories at the time to show the diversity, to show how inclusive the Conservative Party is. Now, 
Of course, the Conservative Party has been reformed massively, has been modernized over the years. And in fact, David Cameron had some sort of impact, but not because of these gimmicks. That's not why it happened. It was happening organically anyway, so thank God for that. When you have actual, real organic progress. Uh, but when you have political you know, gimmicks and stunts by appointing someone just because they're a woman and, uh, well, from somewhere else in terms of background and appearance, of course things will kick off. This woman is not even a conservative. Saeed Awasi is should, should belong to the Labour Party because she's, she's a socialist, her policies are interventionist, and she has been very, very against Brexit anyway. Uh, that doesn't mean that she's not a Tory, but the problem is that uh, she's been going around for a few years now, ever since David Cameron left, attacking the Tory party. And now she's a baroness. She's in the House of Lords. She's come out to push uh, this agenda that the Tory party is institutionally Islamophobic. Whatever that is. I remember Christopher Hitchens about 12, 13 years ago when he was alive. Uh, Christopher Hitchens said, there is a new term that's being thrown around. Be scared of it. Be very afraid. Islamophobia. And he said that they're going to use this term to shut down debate, even if you criticize the religions in general. Uh, now, what they mean by Islamophobia, they're talking about Muslimophobia, if, if you target individuals who have the faith. Now, if you criticize Islam, just like if you criticize Catholicism, it should be allowed. Religions should be allowed to be scrutinized. Now, they're saying that Saeed Awasi and people like her have been going around saying the Tories are institutionally Islamophobic. So what happened? An inquiry happened and it came out and the result, as usual, nothing was found. No evidence that complaints related to Islam are treated differently from those related to other forms of discrimination. So that's one. But also no evidence of attempts to pressure or interfere with the handling of individual complaints was found. No evidence to back up Baroness Wallace's claim uh, of institutional racism within the party. Now, of course, this were, these were the key findings of uh, this report. And at the same time, they have to try to try their best to find some sort of a, a balance on the other side. Just like a teacher who gives you all the, all the good feedback. And then they have to also give you some sort of pointers. So they, they come back with uh, saying a lack of transparency in the complaint process, no time frames for resolution. Social media rules aren't widely known or angered. So sure, that's fine. I mean, if that's the standard that we have, and of course, we've had 727 of the complaints that were made related to anti-Muslim discrimination. And we know why. When I was involved with the Tory party, when I was younger, uh, we know that a lot of real problems, real complaints and real uh, corruption that happens, uh, people don't actually complain to the party. Uh, sometimes these problems are so deep that they just feel they can't really tell anyone. And or that they feel like if they tell someone, for example, it's, if it's a bullying complaint, uh, they don't feel that they can go to the party. Whereas a woke comment or anti-woke comment or something that's kind of more uh, emotionally sensitive, that's easy to complain about. And it's so easy for me to like call the police and say someone made a joke about my skin color or my gender. Or these are just so easy these days. Whereas if you actually have a real complaint, of course, it, you know, people don't find it easy to complain to parties. 777 incidents of anti-Muslim comments, not surprised. Now, the whole point of this is that the Tory party is not institutionally uh, racist or Islamophobic in that sense, because the party are treating uh, all the complaints equally. 
That's that's all that matters. And of course, there are individuals within all parties and all parts of society who have different views, and some of them are dodgy. But that doesn't mean that we are institutionally racist. Now, the report also says that the Muslim Council of Britain, who questioned the impartiality of the investigation chair, failed to provide evidence despite being asked on multiple occasions. So why is it with these groups, the Muslim Council of Britain, if they were asked to provide evidence, if they are so sure that they're right, or people like Saeed Abasi, why not provide the evidence? They're still complaining, saying that this is biased, the report is not impartial, but they, were fa they actually failed to even come back with some sort of evidence. Now, this is a cultural problem, and there's an institutional issue. That's the whole theme of today's show. It's all about uh, systems and institutions. Now, we are seeing failure from all sides, including the European uh, institutions that we are having. Firstly, Northern Ireland Protocol. Let's talk about this, because every update that we've been having since the end of the Brexit transition period has been disappointing. The European Union's treatment of Northern Ireland has been astonishingly bad, despite the fact that they keep going around telling the people of Northern Ireland that they really care about them. You have Michel Barnier, Ursula von der Leyen and all the others and the Irish government ministers every single day saying that we care about Northern Ireland. Yet their actions are damaging Northern Ireland and the integrity of the United Kingdom. So now Ursula von der Leyen during this debate about the, the, the impact of Northern Ireland protocol which has been quite bad on the UK and uh, it's clearly created this division between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. She's come out instead of accepting uh, the responsibility that it is because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, part of the Brexit deal, she says, no, 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 it's Brexit's fault. Blame Brexit. Not the EU. Not, not EU's weird uh, fantasy and obsession with their single markets and integrity of the single market. That's all. That's why this is happening. Because there are arrangements between the Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom on a number of range of issues in, in, in terms of travel, in terms of uh, passports, visas, and the way they recognize each other as countries, sort of like Canada and the US. But because Northern, uh, the Republic of Ireland are part of the EU, these two countries, UK and Ireland, aren't, can't be like America and Canada. They can't come up with their own decisions. But the UK can, Ireland can't. Otherwise, there would not be a border between Ireland and the UK. Because we already know that we have similar standards in terms of goods and services, especially food, uh, why is it that the European Union, who we were a member of them until recently, suddenly question our standards? That's why they've got this border between Northern Ireland and the UK, so that if some product comes from England, goes through Northern Ireland, and then goes through, and it goes inside the, uh, the European Union, Ireland, they don't trust it, really. We have already seen that some of the standards that we have in the UK is even higher than Brussels. It's all political games, and Ursula von der Leyen's comments, absolutely weird, coming to protect Northern Ireland and uh, the Good Friday Agreement, yet she's causing more trouble. Why is it this? Like, firstly, she has said that there's no alternative to full and correct implementation of this. Yes, there is. We don't need a border between the Republic and Northern Ireland. As I said, explained already, we, we already know what's going to uh, be crossing the border anyway. We're used to it. It's the same product that's been going around for decades and decades. Same standards. We have a trade deal with you guys. The whole point of this trade deal was supposed to accept each other's standards. Well, technically, we are accepting the EU's standards, but we're already doing it. So be happy. 
Tech are good. Stop complaining. But that's not really what this is about. Of course, Arlene Foster and all the others are kicking off and they have to. And the UK government, very slow on this, but they are making some good remarks. Uh, people like David Frost and others. The government has not ruled out a unilateral move to tear up the current border rules by triggering Article 16 of the protocol. This is a good move. Now, whether it happens or not, not sure, but the Boris Johnson's government used these methods as a bluff a number of times during the Brexit negotiations, and it worked, to be fair. And that's all it matters, isn't it? The whole point of making sure that you have certain things in your back pocket to use against uh, the European Union, you don't even actually have to trigger Article 16. You just have to make sure that they think that you are going to trigger Article 16. Like a deterrent. And once you do that, everything will be different. Now, we have to see because loyalists, especially loyalists, but both sides, specifically loyalists, have now warned that violence is on the table to, in, in efforts to tear up this Northern Ireland Protocol. I'm, I'm completely against violence. And th this is not how things should be. But we all know that the situation in Northern Ireland culturally and historically has always been different. It's the same with France. If there's a change of policy, the price of milk, cars will be set on fire in Paris because that's the French culture. They like to set, cars to, like set fire to cars. That's what they do. And uh, they, you know, different cultures have different mentalities. <laughs> now, I'm just not really pro-violence, but this is a situation we have to deal with. Now, UK are also trying to make their own decisions. Uh, we are trying to be this independent and sovereign country. We know this. Uh, but some stuff are coming out. Just because others are doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We are now going to push ahead with plans to charge EU citizens to visit. You think it's a good idea? The, the UK, the Home Office are doing this to pretend that they are now on top of migration. And we are now going to control the borders by asking EU citizens to pay £15. <laughs> That's not going to happen. We have a bigger problem. If you want to control the borders, if you want to bring down migration numbers, uh, the issues are the two main parts. One, people who are entering the country illegally. That's one group of people you have to be careful of. Secondly, those middle-class Europeans, or any from, from anywhere really, who have the money to come, they're not the problems. You've got the pro people who are taking advantage of the system to come to the country, whether as students or whatever, and then they'll find a way to stay in the country regardless. And a lot of them become um, just illegals, and they can't really have national insurance number. That's not going to change anything. The reason this is happening is because America is doing it. America has ESTA, and uh, the EU also have this European Travel Information and Authorization System, uh, which uh, charge people, I think, about like seven dollars, uh, seven euros, uh, and the US charged fourteen dollars. This is a classic big government trying to make money for the treasury, just like taxation. Now, I don't mind this because it's not our money. You know, we're making money basically from uh, visitors. All I'm saying is, it's just it's just pointless. It's not going to achieve anything. Yeah, it might not be harmful in that sense because it's only probably going to be like fifteen pounds. Fine. But do not let the Home Office trick you by thinking that this policy is why the UK are now going to control migration. Nothing is going to change. If the UK and the Home Office really want to control our borders, they would do something about Dover and the border force. They would do something about uh, the way we are deporting or not deporting illegal migrants. Just be some, we need some transparency during this debate. Now, as I said, this is all about government making money. Um, luckily, this time, as I said, they're making money from foreign visitors, not us. But they are also coming up with plans 
to destroy ordinary people's lives. And I am very, very disappointed to announce this next piece of news. Yes, homeowners face gas boiler ban within 14 years, and it could cost thousands to replace them. Now, I'm going to analyze this situation because that's the whole point of this channel. I'm, why is it that when you have the, uh, the World Economic Forum uh, members, you have all the politicians and the millionaires and the billionaires and the influential figures who get together to come up with global economic policies, but also, apparently these days, global climate change policies, don't really understand um, ordinary people's, like, or just live real life problems. These idiotic thing that by 2035, we're going to basically get rid of all this, we're going to focus and aim to get to this net zero agenda. This is going to hit a lot of ordinary people, not just working classes and the people at the bottom of society, the poor, it's also going to hit a lot of lower middle classes as well. This is absolutely dangerous. £10,000 it will cost at least to go eco-friendly if you get rid of your boilers. £10,000 that will be paid by the people themselves, not the government. The whole point of this green agenda was that at times, initially, governments and politicians were incentivizing you and businesses to go green. Now they want to punish you. If you don't pay, if you don't actually go ahead with this, they are going to come, knock on your door, take £10,000. They'll find a way to take it. You know, I, I don't know if they can actually take the whole house, but uh, they, you will be charged £10,000. And this is the weirdest thing I've seen when it comes to this green agenda. Yeah, I'm absolutely pro-environment uh, in a way that I, I'm pro-clean water, clean air. I want to live in a normal place. Uh, but this, this net zero stuff is just idiotic because just because Greta Thunberg has said that we are going to die in eight years' time, I think it's eight years now because I think it was seven years, two days ago. I don't know, it keeps changing. Uh, but it really, really doesn't matter because everything goes back to what we've been trying to say about uh, politicians not being in touch with society. And I'm disappointed that Boris Johnson's prime minister is falling for this as well because uh, despite his flaws, he was always on the right side ideologically. Steve Baker and Boris Johnson were similar in the past. Steve Baker, at least right now, he's fighting back. He's come out to warn against this move. Of course, it's going to damage consumers and ordinary people and taxpayers. He has told Daily Mail that the policy elite have persuaded themselves that there's a consensus for net zero without anyone bothering to explain the implications to the public. When people do work out the cost and impact on their lives, there is going to be a huge backlash. They should know this. Why is it that these policies always have to come out and they have to wait for you know a few months for some sort of backlash and then make a U-turn? Just don't do it. Just don't do it from the, in the first place. Everything goes back to all these institutional problems and out-of-touch parts of our society. Speaking of out-of-touch, both parties, Tories and Labour, they don't know what they're doing. So this Indian variant, we've now created hotspots in the country. Government promised us no more lockdowns nationally, no more local lockdowns. But they are creating semi-local lockdowns uh, without calling them local lockdowns. And somehow John Ashworth from the Labour Party is slamming the government, saying lockdowns are bad, don't do it. This is the same Ashworth and the same Labour Party who want lockdowns. Right now, they would prefer to have a proper lockdown until 2050. Why? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, he's come out to actually criticise the government because uh, there are certain areas... Uh, Bolton, for example, and Burnley, and uh, especially 
Hounslow and some, some other places as well. We've had now been put on this list, the hotspot list. Fascinating, right? I, mean, I know there are a lot of issues in Leicester, for example, and Bolton, but the numbers are coming down in Bolton as well. Uh, because uh, whether obviously herd immunity has been achieved or is being achieved in terms of technical numbers, pandemic as a whole, the technical term, has now ended according to the World Health Organization and our own government. There's no pandemic now. There is, the virus is there, but pandemic is over. Now, we are introducing these local lockdowns without calling them because they're telling people not to travel to these areas. And Jonathan Ashworth from the Labour Party is saying this is a bad idea. But his solution is just more national lockdowns. We have a big problem institutionally. Someone needs to come up and save us from these people. Let's just finish it on some good news. Not good news, guys. Very rare variant has been detected in France. Okay, get ready. Embrace yourselves. More is to come because these politicians are not going to let go until we are fully, fully sick and tired of everything that's been happening. So uh, this segment of our daily shows and podcasts, I go through uh, the questions that we receive on a daily basis from the full members. The full members, you have the members area, the membership area at the top of the screen. Uh, and the first thing you have is a box where you can actually submit questions on a daily basis and I answer them. So let's go to the first question and see what we have. We have Tim Hill. Um, just a quick question, Maya. When is the big meetup happening and where? I would like to get train and hotel booked in advance. I like the new platform. Tim, thank you so much, Tim, for the support. Uh, yes, we don't know, guys. We are going to have a big post-lockdown party. And I'm just in the middle of organizing it with Lacey and the rest of the team. Um, I can't really give you the full details, but let's just say it's going to be huge. It's going to be um, basically straight after the lockdown, the final lockdown, unless they extend it somehow. Uh, I'm going to give you the de details very, very soon because it's going to be really exciting. As you know, we have, well, less than a month to go. So get ready for the end of June because we're going to organize the best party that you could ever imagine with the number of big, big names and big guests who are going to come. So I'll let you know. James says, uh, glad to see you back on the air. Thank you. A couple of questions. Oh, yes. Can I get your uh, daily videos uh, sent to my phone uh, by notification? Yes, notification. Um, we are, yeah, it should be set up, but obviously that's the thing. So this site, the whole thing, the whole platform, um, we need your input and your feedback. So we want to work together as a whole community. Uh, to make sure that this is what you want. So any feedback, guys, let me know. Uh, the notification should now um, come back uh, as of tonight or tomorrow. So the videos, when they go live at 6 p.m., you should get an email notification. Uh, but if you didn't check your email, if, if you didn't come, 6 p.m. every day on this page, you can see the podca uh, podcast and also the video. Uh, the, the weekly newsletters, will they carry on? Uh, yes. They, so actually, the newsletters that we have for the full members, uh, if you are signing up uh, to this new site you're automatically also registered to the weekly newsletters which are sent out to everyone on sundays uh, the newsletters are different to the article page that you see where we obviously update it throughout the day with breaking news and reporting uh, this is more more of an opinion piece obviously we have like a number of uh, uh, kind of articles per week and uh, you guys could also apply to be contributors just send us an email uh, with your piece uh, and uh, we'll have a look and we might actually submit it to the next newsletter. Uh, another question from James. Uh, can I promote your site and your videos on a social media? 
uh, there's I, I can't find a button to share them on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, the easiest thing to do is to go on the browser at the top, the you know where the address is, the URL, www. Uh, just copy and paste that on any social media platform. And that's the best way you can help us be promoted. Thank you. Uh, Bill says, is it possible to do a segment on the behind the scenes in the lead up to your show, for example, who is involved, how you can select your stories and topics for the video uh, for the videos and the rest of the rest of the team? Yes, that's actually finally coming. Uh, Lacey and I are going to uh, this this whole channel, as I said yesterday, we're going to have a number of different formats and shows for you guys on a daily basis and weekly basis. It's not just going to be this podcast. Uh, we're going to have interviews, we're going to have debates and everything else. One segment is going to be our vlogs, which is behind the scenes. You can see me and Lacey working and everything else. So it's coming in a few days. Uh, Stephen uh, says, actually, yes, Stephen, next question. That's the main one. Now the channel is not as restricted as being on YouTube. Is there any plan to have more guests, interviews uh, with more diverse opinions on topics? Yes, Stephen. Uh, we are going to, that one of the big segments we're going to have is the interview section. And I'm going to get basically everyone from different sides, uh, from left, right, hard right, far left, center, up, down, everywhere, basement. Uh, so stay tuned because it's going to be very, very exciting. Thanks again, everyone, sending your questions. As I said, if you're a full member of the channel, uh, the membership area, there's a box where you could uh, submit your questions. I'm going to go. I'll see you guys in the next video.